Genesis chapter 2, as we have kind of been given an intro, introduction to it already, verses 18 through 25, as we basically today are going to introduce this entire section. Genesis chapter 2, 18 through 25 will be the verses. I'll read in just a moment. I want to welcome every single one of you here today. You have chosen the good thing to be here together. Thank you, Matt, and the rest of the worship team for leading us. Aaron, for drawing our attention to you. And Kimber, for reminding our little ones the importance that it is not good for a man to be alone. That's our subject matter. Now, I want to make something very clear here as we dive into things. You have a, a bulletin in front of you with notes. Some outline will be given to you. And you'll see the little QR code. That's the little square, squiggly line thing. The subject that we are going to be introducing, actually we're going to spend the next couple weeks in, okay? There, There will be questions about this. I would encourage you, please scan the QR code, type in your question, whatever it is. We will take as long as we need to take to answer questions about the subject matter that we're looking at today and and the days following. Uh, This is too important of a subject. It is a subject that we know very clearly that um, the world, I, I I don't even know how to describe it. It is like banging on the doors of the church, attempting to knock down the gates in a way, trying to to destroy the authority of the word of God. And we know that if we are a church, which we are, that stands upon the authority of the word of God, I do not have the liberty, the elders don't have the liberty, we, you, do not have the liberty to just kind of take out parts of the word of God. So, So by way of introduction, any question will take as long as we need afterwards, whether or not it's a Q&A class, one-on-one, whatever questions you have, we want to make sure that this is an opportunity to dialogue through this most difficult subject, and yet this most important, important doctrine. We need to pray. I need help this morning, as I do every single day. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we just seek the Lord's help, as we listen and learn from him together. Father, I'm, I'm reminded of how your word says that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that you have given to us everything that is necessary. Your word, your, your presence through your spirit, You've, you've gathered your, your body of believers as different as we all are. And we thank you, Lord, and we recognize that you are the head. And so as, as we open up your word this morning, as we uh, read it together, as we seek to live out holy lives and lives of obedience to you and to your word, I, I would pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, for protection from the the wiles of the wicked one. 
protect this body. I, I pray, Lord, that we, we would become proficient and, and experts in, in, in boldness and clarity. And Lord, as your word reminds us over and over and over and over again, that we would lead in love. Lead in love for, for everyone. As there's so many people in our world, I think particularly of young people, that are, are so hurting and confused and lost. And I would pray, Lord, that we would understand the importance of our ministry in our, in our community and in the culture and context you've called us to live. And we quickly admit, Lord, we cannot do this. I, I certainly cannot. We cannot do this apart from you. I pray, Lord, that you would minister to people today who are struggling with understanding the authority of your word, that we would sense your power to draw us to you in submission, in obedience. I pray, Lord, for people that are going through difficult times of illness and sickness, just emotional duress, anxiety. I pray, Lord, for loved ones. I think of Kathy Marcel just recovering from surgery. Lord, touch her body and strengthen and, and heal her, help her to be home soon. We rejoice, Lord, in Bobby Joe, in answers to prayer and allowing her to, to be back in, in fellowship with us. I pray for Carter, Rich and Yvonne's grandson, still in serious condition, or bring healing, healing of, of body and mind and of heart. Lord, we love you. We're amazed at your grace that you've displayed to us, your mercies new every day. We plead right now for help and guidance. As we hear from you, we ask that you bless this time and may you, you be the focus. May you be the one to whom all glory is directed. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. <clears throat> We're in chapter two. Let me just back it up very, very quickly just to kind of like, okay, settle in. Where are we? Genesis chapter one. We've seen this word God, Elohim, Created, what, ex nihilo, everything out of nothing, the sheer power of God's spoken word on display. And, and hopefully we've seen, apart from the work of salvation, what nothing reveals what I call big God theology more than the work of creation. Three days of forming, the second three days of filling, capped off with the creation of mankind, the only one created in the Imago Dei, the image of God, created to reflect the very likeness of God. Then finally we saw on the seventh day, God rested, modeling the importance of physical rest, but ultimately pointing to the promise of eternal spiritual rest. Last week... We introduce chapter 2 with more details, and we see a transition from, from God, Elohim, to what? The Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, a personal covenant God, who, who gave us just a little tiny glimpse into the beauty of the garden pre-fall. And we learned that it is, it is nothing in comparison to the glory of heaven that awaits all 
those who have placed their faith in Christ and Christ alone. A 60-second summary of the past month and a half that we've been in. Let me direct your attention to the word of the Lord, Genesis chapter 2. Here's our text this morning. Um, We'll begin in verse 18 and read down through verse 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I, I will make him a helper that is fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man and to, to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother And hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The word of the Lord. There is such, we see there there is such richness to these verses evident in all honesty, by a couple statements that, that I make, I think, at almost every single wedding that I have ever conducted or officiated in the past 25 years. As I perform a wedding with the bride and groom standing, I draw attention to Adam's words. He, he didn't even know entirely what he was missing when God created man. And I love this, that he says what? Adam says, this at last. And I thought a bit this for, for quite a bit of time. How long, I mean, it seems like this guy has been waiting like forever at last. Finally, and so I've been always struck with this idea. How long of a period of time was it between the creation of Adam and the creation of Eve? And we are not told, okay? And I ask people all the time, how long do you think it was? <clears throat> people would say, you know, a couple years, could have been a couple months. I, I'm just not in that category at all, okay? I'm literally down towards a day, two days, maybe, okay? Uh, hours, how long was it? Was it even minutes before he realized, like, at last she is here? At last, what? 
is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called, and I say this on me every single time that I perform a wedding, and she shall be called, whoa, man. Because, guys, we know that, right? As the groom is just like starry-eyed as she stands before him. Now, now there are certain texts of Scripture that just stand out, and this, I, I would say, is one of them. I think because I spend so much of my time and, and focus in pastoral ministry on and in the subject of marriage, whether or not it's preparation for weddings or premarital counseling, as well as the fact that we, what, any one of us who've been married for more than a day, know we face, what, marriage struggles and stress and strain and, and what's your job and what's my job, and, and we, we wrestle with roles and responsibilities. There's no doubt, okay, that marriage takes a lot of hard work and what it is a dedication of selfless commitment for it to work well. Marriage is hard. Why? Because sin is real in our world. Which actually reminds me of, of a joke that my dad just out of the blue will send me on occasion. My dad sent me a joke just this week. and He says this, and he says, that if Adam and Eve were Cajuns, okay, they live down south. If Adam and Eve were Cajuns, they would have eaten the snake instead of the apple and saved us all a whole lot of trouble. <laughs> and I did laugh. And I was like, okay, I'm not being discriminatory, okay? My mom and dad live in the south. So I think it's safe. They, they, they're allowed to share that type of humor. Okay, back to our text. The, the order and the design that is so evident and so clear in chapter 1 continues on in chapter 2. And it is no secret here that women are different, is what we're going to begin to unpack here. That marriage can be hard, and God knew exactly what he was doing when what? Both of them were being created in the image of God to reflect his glory, that this union is going to be the basis, in a sense, it's going to be the foundation for everything. Think of all of the celebrations in life. Think about the anniversaries, the birthdays that we celebrate, the babies, the graduations, and weddings, and more celebrations. All of this comes as a result of what? The blessings of life come from life. This is the foundational relationship. And yet, what? We are told how it all begins. Two points. The first one is very brief. I submit to you what? Number one, that there is a significant Problem. We have a significant problem here. The problem is what? It is not good that a man should be alone. And you do realize this is the first negative statement that is made in the entire creation narrative. The very verse before that says, if you eat the fruit, you will die. Okay, that's not a negative statement. That's a protective statement. That's a good thing. So what, four times we read, as Kimber reminded the little ones, four times, it is good. This is good. One time it says that it is very good. And yet we realize that something here, what, loneliness 
is not good. Why? Because you and I were made for relationships. We are made to what? Bump up against one another in life for communication. What is in our society, apart from the taking of a life and, and, and capital punishment, what is in our society the most strict form of punishment that we can offer? What, what is the, the worst type of offense people who are incarcerated, even those people who are locked into a cell, okay, when they what, break the rules of being in their cell, they're actually separated even more from what general population and they get placed into what is referred to as administrative segregation or we have heard it referred to as the whole. The worst form of punishment, the most severe in our entire society is to separate people from other people. That, that's, that's what's being re revealed here. It's interesting to note that this phrase, not good, this is intentionally strong language. I will oftentimes remind men who sit in my office or I have coffee with them or lunch with them or, or spend time with them. I will remind man after man after man. When we are alone, what? It's dangerous. We get ourselves in trouble. It's no shock, no surprise. Dr. Umberto Casuto, I love his name. Dr. Umberto Casuto, the late professor of Bible at Hebrew University in Jerusalem, states this, and I quote, in regards to this phrase, not good. This not only indicates the absence of something good, but a substantial deficiency. Did God make a mistake here? Like, whoa, this is not going according to plan. Absolutely not. And yet what's interesting is that God does not consult Adam. What do you think about hanging out here by yourself? Adam may, in a sense, who is what? Fascinated with maybe areas of responsibility. He may not even be aware that he was lonely when he has everything, the entire garden of tropical, exotic paradise, an entire zoo of animals that he has for himself to be entertained with. All of that. Lush. Gorgeous. It is not good. Therefore, God's sovereign unilateral on his own resolve was unequivocal he is leaving no doubt when he offers second point this is where we'll rest a perfect solution we have first and foremost a significant problem when God offers a perfect solution I will make a helper that is fit for him. Now, now note two times in these verses that we just read, 1825, <clears throat> it actually uses this repeated phrase, a helper, helper, fit. And yet, oh, so many people have a hard time accepting this. A radical feminist would, would, would rage and shout, I am not his helper. 
Yet, however, we will see here right out of the gate. Okay, we've not been in this book real long. We haven't gotten too far. Right out of the gate, we see a divine, God-ordained, God-given sense of order. As clear and as plain as we have read what other phrases and other phrases that have been repeated. Evening and morning. What is that? It's a, it's a literal. We've read this phrase, and it was so. In a sense, period, exclamation point. It was so. As clear and plain as what? And it was good. God is revealing important truths about himself here. God is revealing important truths about us. Mankind about marriage and role distinction. There's the rub. Both the NIV and the New American Standard translate that same verse. I will make a helper that is suitable for him. New Living Translation says, I will make a helper that is just right for him. The King James, oh King James says what? I will make him a help meet for him. The new King James says, I will make a helper that is comparable to him. D different ways, phrases, basically all saying much the same thing. All of creation, all the beauty, all the animals, the intricate and detailed living creatures of this world, and yet none of them prove to be fit for him. The word helper here in Hebrew is the word Izar. Izar it is one who supplies strength in the area that is lacking in the helped. Men, we can affirm that. The term does not imply that the helper is stronger or weaker than the helped. Fit for him or matching him is not the same as like him. A wife is not her husband's clone, but rather she compliments him. Now, and, and if, if anyone were to ever think for a moment that this term helper, like I don't like this term. If you think for a moment that this is a diminishing term in a, in a servile or servant-like way, please understand that this word is the exact same word that is used to describe God. God, who is the helper of Israel on numerous occasions. Same word, Hazar. Exodus chapter 18, verse 4, he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 7, Hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah with your hands. Contend for him to be a help against his adversary same word what is happening here is that this is actually introducing a core doctrine of what we teach what we promote and lord willing what our goal is to model by way of marriage and it's called complementarianism you may have heard me use that term before this is, this is the foundation of what I believe God's word is very, very clear about. As far as how a marriage is to work, Greg Allison writes this as a simple definition. I've kind of parsed it just a bit. Complementarianism is a view that men and women are complementary or they correspond to one another. 
filling out and completing one another that features two important aspects. Number one, men and women are equal in value, first and foremost. One is not more important than the other, okay, in the sight of God. But number two, men and women are different in our relationships and roles. He goes on to explain this is actually evident in several realms with respect to the home. Husbands lead and their wives submit to them. And we'll see that later in Ephesians chapter 5. In the, in the church, in the context of the church, elder, pastor, responsibilities are reserved for a particular role distinction here for qualified men. Women participate in many areas of ministries, but what we believe is that women do not hold the office of elder or pastor. The questions are coming in already. Uh, these, these distinctions come in, in, in multiple kind of varying various combinations by contrast of what we would believe in big words is complementarianism is egalitarianism which says basically what? It, it, it denies some if not all of these distinctions. There is no difference in a role between a man or a woman. I remember sitting in my office some time ago preparing a young couple which I was honestly surprised they even asked me to marry them. And as we were going down through, okay, this is what it's going to look like, and we get to Ephesians chapter 5, and, and it said this phrase that, that wives are to obey their husbands. I remember the, the woman said, could you just, like, not read that part? Could, could you just kind of, like, just take out that? I mean, I, I, like, hey, listen, I think you got the wrong guy here. Okay, we, we don't have the authority. I don't have the, just to kind of remove certain things. So, so what it means to fit together speaks of, and we want to kind of unpack, okay, so what are the similarities and what are the dissimilarities? Similarities first and foremost is what, there's a, there's a similar, similar, what, value, and it certainly is evident in the gifting. God gifts both men and women equally. And, and I, you know, I remember, how I, I remember where I learned this. I remember specifically the time that I was reminded of the equal gifting that God gives. And, and I'm not referring here to spiritual gifts, just, just how God is kind of wired. I remember being on a particular flight. Um... And we were, we were landing in Manchester, New Hampshire, New England in February. And it was a really, really bad storm. And, um, and we knew it was, it was going to be bu- it was bumpy from takeoff. It was bumpy for the entire flight. And, and it was, it was going to be bumpy on the way down. Horrible blizzard. Once you, get, once you get up there, you don't have a lot of choices, okay? Like, you got to come down somewhere at some, some time. And I'm typically the guy, forgive me, forgive me, but I generally want to see, when I see, you know, the, the, the left seat, I always, always look like, who's in the left seat? Generally speaking, I want the, what, 55, 65-year-old retired Air Force fighter pilot, the colonel with tens of thousands of hours. And, and I'll walk by, and I'm like, good to go. 
And I'm, I'm Googling his name. Can I find out more about him? Like, with combat missions, how amazing is this guy? Going through a storm doesn't matter. I remember as I boarded this plane that the, that the door was, was already closed because it was already storming. And, and as we took off, smooth and, and bumpy flight, and we get ready, and, and as you know how like they, they come across the, the intercom, and it's like, it's like they're sitting like in a beach chair up there, totally cool, chill, relaxed. And uh, Mr. Pilot comes on, and he says, yeah, I'm, I'm first officer, I'm co-pilot, and uh, just want to let everybody know it's going to be fine, it's going to be bumpy, keep your seatbelts on, everything's cool. I thought it was a little odd that the co-pilot was talking to us, but that's all right. Let, let, let him do his job. And, and I remember that we landed in this blizzard, and the blizzard was so bad, I, I had pulled my shade down because I knew I didn't want to see the balls of fly, fire out, out there. And I remember when I pulled my shade up, after we actually touched down, I pulled my shade up, and you would have thought the shade was still down. It was a total whiteout. And I was like, man, that was a smooth landing. I want to thank this guy. And I remember as I was, you know, grabbing and you grab your suitcase, you're walking out. I want to, I want to pop in. And I remember this. I remember this. Left seat, captain of that plane was like a five foot five blonde young woman. She looked like my daughter. And, and I remember stopping and I said, I want to tell you something. You are a good pilot. And, and I felt like, man, I was, I was like, I don't, I don't want some little girl. She was amazing. She was gifted. And I, and I thought at some moment, wait a minute, God is just uniquely wired. Like at some point, I remember this idea of what it means here. Both, What? Men and when both create it in the image of God, there's similarities there. Both what men and women alike we know can be rescued from their sin by the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no distinction here. They're exactly the same. Both can be united together and be incorporated into the local body of Christ, the local church. Both can receive just, just a full range of spiritual gifts. There's no gender-specific gifts that are given. So, so men and women are similar in all of those areas. And yet also we have to understand there's dissimilarities as well. And believe me, I, I, I am well aware. I, I began to make a list in my own life. By way of, and I put it like this, in order of appearance in my life, there has been my mother. I have an older sister, Trishy. I have a younger sister, Ruthie. I have a wife, 33 plus years. In wedding. I have a daughter, Sarah Ashley. I have a daughter-in-law, Emily, a granddaughter, Noelle Aurora, Seven nieces, and then I just lost it after that. And then whatever, when all of my nieces get married and start to have babies, I have a lot of nisets. I was thinking like raisinets, nisets. There's a lot of them. 
And I have been surrounded. I've been blessed since I was little to be what? To be surrounded by, by, by women of every age, of every level of maturity. I, I've sat under the teaching of godly women, people with varying gifts and strengths and weaknesses, varying IQs and experiences. I've had godly professors and teachers. I've read multiple books and articles from, from brilliant, godly, gifted women. And I am still, after all of that, with, with what? Daughter and granddaughter and wife and mother. And I still, even with all of that, I am nowhere in, 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 in understanding how the mind of a woman works. Still, after all those years and all those people, I, I have no, like, I'm like, really? Yeah, pop, pop, really? I'm like, how do you even see? Like, I don't even see that. It's dissimilarities, it's difference. Therefore, what, there has to be difference in our relationships and in our roles. And I, and I, young couples that come, and I'm like, okay, you got to get ready here. You have to understand. There's a role distinction. If, if, if God in his sovereignty blesses, then she's going to be the one that gives birth. Sorry. I know that you love her. You want to make her life as easy as possible. You want to absorb all the pain and all the discomfort. At some role, there's going to be a distinction, a splitting that says, guess what, honey? I love you. I'm there for you, but there's nothing I can do. There's a role distinction here. And this builds out from Scripture all over. Ephesians chapter 5, where it talks about what husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. And a wife's role is to submit to her husband. And we understand here because God has designed this thing. And it says what, which we know in 1 Timothy chapter 2, what Adam was, was formed first, then Eve. There's an order here. God is revealing something to us and this idea, this subject of submission which is so difficult today because it's so totally misunderstood. Subject of submission is, is a beautiful, beautiful picture of how we are to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now what this truth, regardless of what the world what our society, our culture, regardless of what media are saying, and now, sadly, to be perfectly honest, what many of our classrooms are actually teaching, note something very important. Note what God did not make for complimenting Adam. What, he, what did he not make for complimenting Adam? He did not make another man. He did not make another man. Two men married. Two men in a committed relationship. Two men what? Are not God's design. Just like two women are not God's design. Two men in a relationship cannot be fruitful and multiply. I'm sorry. 
Two women in a relationship cannot be fruitful and multiply. Two men, forgive me here, do not fit together. Two women do not fit together. Two men, two women, regardless of what, oh, but we're in a committed and it's a monogamous, which is rarely the case, are outside of God's perfect plan and purpose for marriage, for family, for intimacy, for procreation, and for life itself. If you think about it for a moment, if this is so good, as the world says what? Love is love for everyone. If this is so good that it was good enough for everyone, you do realize this, human life would cease to exist in one generation. How, how can that be good? Hey, have you ever wondered at some level, how have we got here? Think, think for a moment. Just, just, just back up a little bit of what big picture stuff. What, what is, as we will see when we get to Genesis chapter 3, the, the, the enemy, the evil one, the serpent, Satan, whispering, you're not going to die. It's not what God said. So, so at, at what is happening? What's at play here? The, 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 the tactics, I love the old King James Version, the wiles of the enemy. If you go back and think about where we were in, in Genesis chapter 1, that's why I was so firm on a literal what? interpretation here and I said this foundation everything pours out from that because the world says if we can diminish the creation narrative with some theory that has popped on the scene in the last 150 years theory of evolution then what then we can begin to discredit a creator from a literal creation we can what destroy the ancients and dismiss which is ultimately what is at stake here, dismiss the authority of the word of God. Thus, when you attempt to rid it, you rid it of God's purpose. You rid it of God's design. You rid it of God's order. Then what happens is that we have before us a society that can say whatever they want, they think whatever they want, they believe whatever they want, and, and they do whatever they feel is truth. Love is love. How dare you ever question who I can love? And is vehement. How dare you tell me and you judge me because I'm cohabiting with someone that I dearly love? How dare you people judge me for wanting to spend the rest of my life with, marry, attempt to, to build a family with. A family today that has been defined and reduced to what by the world? As anyone who lives together and loves. That, that's the definition that the world has of a family. Totally trying to throw out what God has given to us. That, thus what happens is what is before us. Ferocious. Ferocious endless effort and assault to redefine what is male and redefine what is female. And we've heard this 
to redefine what is marriage, attempt to recreate a blurred distinction between man and woman. And that ferociousness, in that, in that vehement anger, people mock and they make fun of a commitment. Any type of a commitment is just bondage. That marriage is something that is, that is out of date. And what happens is that they push a narrative where they push to the extremes. That man is what? He is either a brute or he is an emasculated burden. One or the other. And they push what? Everything to the extremes that a woman is either a, a, a tyrannical CEO who takes orders from no one or she is an abused, suppressed housewife. Let's push everything to the extremes. Let me stand upon the authority of the word of God and say no. That is not accurate. And that is not true. They are, are caricatures. Extreme caricatures that are out of balance, that are out of whack, that are, that are wrong. They're far from truth. So what do we do in that? Like, what do we do? What is the balance here? How do we live in this? What do we say? Four things. Four things I, I want to give you. I want you to hold on to it, and, and you need to hold on to this. We together need to hold on to this. As Pastor Aaron prayed, he said that, that God is a God who unifies us, that draws us together, although there are all types of differences. And there's what? There's men and women, and there's different gifting and likes and dislikes and all of those things. But evidence of what our submission to the Holy Spirit draws us together in unity to the authority of God's word. That's why this is so important. What do we do? How do we speak? Number one, A, acknowledge God's design of sex and gender. You have to acknowledge that first and foremost. You simply do not have the authority to change it or to redefine it. I'm sorry, you're, you've not been given that authority. We know that the word of God is set. It is God-breathed, and it is profitable for doctrine, correction, instruction in righteousness. This is how we live righteously. Right. So at some level, you can't just dismiss the ancients. We have to, number one, acknowledge that God has a design here. As amazing as what? We looked at the beautiful black panther or the lion or the cheetah or the God's design is a good design. And in God's good design, he says, guess what? It's not good for a man to be alone. We get ourselves in trouble. We're going to make someone who's fit for him. And we acknowledge this. Number two, we accept God's purpose for your life as a reflection of his image. God did not make a mistake when he, what? Allowed you determined in his sovereign will for you to be born a man or for you to be born a woman. God did not make a mistake on that. 
So we accept the fact that God's purpose for your life is to be who God has allowed you to be born and you live as a reflection of His image. We are not to live. We are not to live and accept this what? This swirling confusion. I don't really know who I am. I don't know what I am. I don't fit. That's, that's, that's why God has graciously gifted each one of us and called each one of us to minister truth in a time that it needs it. We acknowledge God's design of sex and gender. We accept God's purpose for your life as a reflection of his image. Number three, we advocate for God's perfect will for marriage and family. I tell you what, the church of Jesus Christ cannot be silent on this subject. And I, I don't think it's too long before pastors who I, I read and I see all over the place are caving on this. This, this, is, this is not going to sell well. And, and we what? We are to be witnesses. As the Holy Spirit will come upon us and we will be witnesses. We're to teach people to obey all that God has given to us in his word. Therefore, I think we need to be What? And we have to work towards this. We have to be bold and we have to be clear in our message. Now with all of these things, we acknowledge and we accept and we advocate. What do we do? What about those people? Fourthly and finally, and, and arguably, what we need to pause on is what? We have to administer love and truth to all people as all people are created in the image of God. Which means what? If there is a young boy who is struggling with, I don't know who I am. There should be no better place and no safer place for him to come than to you and to sit around your table and for you to show them the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to speak truth in love. I am horrified, and I do not use that word lightly. I am horrified at some of the church's attack against people who are totally confused, totally lost. And we have to come alongside them. That's, that's what God has called us. We are, we are known by our love for one another. Now, let me be very clear, explicitly clear, Love does not mean then just do whatever you want to do as long as you're happy. That is not love. My, my little grandkids want to play in the street. Whatever you want to do to be happy, absolutely not. Part of our love for them is telling them the truth. You, little one, dear one, struggling with their identity, struggling with anxiety, Young ones who are killing themselves are trying to, to what? Suppress it with something. You're created. In the image of God, God knits you together carefully in the secret of your mother's womb. And he has a purpose for you. And we do not buy the lies of this world. That love is love with whatever, with whatever. No. Love is acknowledging the truth that God cares enough about us 
to offer his own son. And this, this language, which, which so wonderfully, this text right here, so wonderfully recounts the divine provision of a helper for Adam and of the two becoming one flesh. This is, this is beautiful stuff. Our Ken Hughes says this, and I quote, the deep well from which is drawn all biblical teaching on the covenant of marriage starts here. Let me, let me say that again. The deep well from which is drawn all biblical teaching on the covenant of marriage starts right here. Which why? Because if you recall, marriage is why it is a it is a perfect description. Marriage is a perfect description. That's why this is okay of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why this order is so important. Every single wedding ceremony, I I what as part of, and every 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 ceremony we want a little bit different, we want a little bit unique from any other one, and I totally get that, totally understand it. But at some level, it's going to include certain things. And I will read, and the bride and groom will repeat very important words. They're called vows. And, and I, I've learned this over the years. In the vows that a bride and groom will hear and then repeat, I've realized this. No one really needs the for better part. Or the in health part. Or in the in riches Stuff. No one in their right mind is ever going to bail out or run away during the good time. No, the vows are for the other stuff. The vows are for the for worse part. The in sickness part. The vows, a covenant to one another before God, witnessed by everyone, are for the what? In poverty part. Vows exist because sin exists. Vows exist because sin is real. And we don't know what, what sins will become real in our marriage relationships. What sins will put a stress on our covenants. We do know that vows exist because sin does. Thankfully, the vow of the gospel exists because sin does. The story of Christ and his bride it is, it, is a, it, is, it is a messy, it is a, a difficult, it's a very sordid story, a sordid history for sure. I think one of the most vivid illustrations is when God calls Hosea to marry a woman who was unfaithful. And yet what? He stays faithful. Through all the pain... All the heartache, all the dishonor, all the confusion, he stays faithful. Why? Because what God has joined together, let no man pull apart. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 6. Mark chapter 10 and verse 9. Because God has put this thing together. You don't have the authority to tear it apart. And because God in his astounding wisdom was showing Hosea, and you know what? He's showing each one of us what it's like for Christ to love his church, his bride. When people stand at the altar making vows, they don't, they don't really think, they don't think at that moment. There's photographers and there's flowers and there's adorable little outfits and dresses they don't think that what the bad is going to be that bad. Sure, it'll, it'll get bumpy. 
There'll be some rough patches. Sure, sure, sure there'll, there'll be sin, but, but, not, but not that kind of sin. But our holy bridegroom, Jesus Christ, makes his vow knowing full well what he's forgiving. He knows us inside and out. He knows what we are guilty of and he knows what we will be guilty of. And even on our very, very best days when we shine up and look good, Jesus could have the legal grounds at any moment to say, enough of this. Enough of this. This is unfixable. When you think about it, the truth is what? The truth is that there's never been one that has been sinned against more. There's never been one that has been wronged or disrespected as much as Jesus. And yet what happens? What does he do? He keeps loving. And he keeps giving and serving. And he approves and he washes and he delights and he romances. He doesn't just tolerate us. He lavishes his affections on us. He justifies us. He sanctifies us. And he glorifies us. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Husbands, what God has put together here, you don't have the authority to take apart. Husbands, you, you love your wife just as Christ has loved the church. And I don't, I don't doubt that there's, there's not a husband here that if, if an intruder were to walk in your house and point a gun at your wife that you would leap in front of her and you would take a bullet for her in a heartbeat. The problem is, is that you won't let her hold the remote when you're watching a movie. Like we're willing to sacrifice for the big stuff, but, but wait a minute. But not on, not on the little stuff. And, and it says, and this is God's word, this is God's design, this is not ours. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Now, do we submit to a husband who is in disobedience? Well, wait a minute, that's not what we submit as to the Lord. His responsibility is to love her. And when a husband is loving his wife, as Christ is loving the church, I teach all the time, submission is a non-issue. What, what woman in her right mind does not want to come under the authority to know that she is safe and protected and provided for? You see, God, God knows that we would be terrible obeyers. God knows that we would be stubborn sacrificers and horrible submitters. Yet he still gave his life for us anyway. He died to forgive us of our sins and he rose again so we would never, ever, 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 ever have our sins held against us. I've read this. Be still our beating hearts. Here's a groom worth swooning over. I love that. You understand what, what the degree of love that has been demonstrated for us and shown to us and why this all fits together perfectly. And I'm so thankful that as we're introduced to what the subject of marriage, the role of a husband and wife, 
in the picture that marriage is of the gospel, that what God in his sovereign plan allows us to remember exactly what Jesus Christ did to demonstrate his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died. Not only would we be, what, terrible obeyers and stubborn sacrificers or horrible submitters, we have a short memory and we forget moments like this and we forget messages like this and that's why god knew he designed us he knit us together in our mother's womb how do we remember things when you touch something when you smell something when you taste something when you see it and that's exactly what jesus christ wanted for those that were closest to him what our spiritual forefathers the apostles in a sense the foundation says ultimately God builds the church but guess what he uses each one of us so we have to be accurate in our understanding of what the Lord Jesus Christ did and so it says that when he sat with his disciples on the night which he was betrayed he took bread after they had eaten and he said I have a lesson for you Lean in, guys. Listen to this. Don't forget this. It's the same lesson that we, what, regularly remember as we look back at the cross and what Jesus Christ did for us and what happened on the cross. Jesus broke the bread and he said, this is a picture of my body. My body's going to be broken for you. And that's exactly what happened. It was shredded. And his body was shredded. Blood gushed out. And Jesus said, so that you remember my body that was broken, my blood that was poured out for you. I want you to eat this bread. This is a picture, a symbol of my body. I want you to drink this cup. This cup is a picture of my blood. Every single time you do this, you have to remember what I've done for you. You have to remember how much I love you. Who, 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 would, who would you die for? You got to have a pretty, you, they got to be pretty high up there. And, and I think we would probably say, well, I, I, can, I can name a few, like without any hesitation. God loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes on Him would not perish, but ever lives. You, you do realize, like, I hate to burst your bubble, you can be pretty unloving. Yeah. You smell at times, like I do. Eat with our mouth open. We just have a tendency to kind of lean the direction that we should not be going. Like, that's us. And, and at some level, we are a mess, and that's why we need one another. And ultimately, we need God literally every single day. So we submit to his authority. Say, Lord, I, I need your help, although I am so unlovable. And our unrighteousness deserves the punishment of eternal death. A little hint for the survey of the, the theology survey that you're taking. Your one little sin can damn you to hell for eternity. Get the right answer, okay? But, but if you've acknowledged what Jesus Christ has done for you, if you've said, you know, I, I am a sinner, I, I know that, ask my wife. And I know that I need a Savior, and there's only one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, and I place my entire life 
into his hands. And whatever he wants to do with me, he can do. I'm his. For those of you who I know, there's many right here that have made that decision, then I want you to know this, this moment cannot be forgotten. This moment is most important for us. Why? Because we have to know who we are in order to live in this broken, messed up world. Teaching a message that you know is very, very offensive in our society. We, we need to remember who we are. It's blood-bought sinners in the presence of a holy God. So if you are a believer here this morning, I invite you, the, the elders are going to come, some deacons are going to come, and they're going to go to one of these, these tables, and what we're going to do is invite you in a few moments. I, I like to just quiet my heart. I take a moment just to pray and thank the Lord. Not a lot of people that, that I know would probably die for Tim. And yet God did that, and I, I think he deserves moments like, thank you, thank you. And take a moment just in quietness and thank the Lord for what he has done. And then I, I, I want you to know others that are here today that have not made that decision. You're kind of waffling on the fence. Yeah, I, I kind of like, you know, the music part and kind of like hanging out and the coffee's good, but I don't know if I really... Then, then I would ask you, if you are an unbeliever, you have not made a decision to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, please don't take, don't come up forward and take the bread and the cup. But we, but we know that in a, in a moment, literally, as we've heard testimony this week, literally hundreds of people in, in our own country this week have recognized their own sinfulness. I, I can't judge hearts. I pray that they understand sinfulness and confess their sin and place their faith in Jesus. What a great opportunity. What a great reminder for us to do that right now, right here. And, and I invite you to do that. And then please come forward for the first time as a forgiven sinner, as a brand new believer, and enjoy the memory of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Gentlemen, I'm going to ask if you would come now and after just a moment or two of just thanking the Lord and, and praising the Lord, perhaps it is a season of confession in your life. Perhaps even with, with the subject matter that we've looked at today, that there's areas of, of your life and heart that you need to ask for forgiveness for and confess your sin. And take the time to do that. In a few moments after you come forward, and take the bread and cup. I'd ask you to go back to your seats. We're a family, so we eat together. Once you go back to your seats and everyone's been served, I'm just going to ask God's blessing on the cup and the bread, and then we will partake of it together as family. Thank you.
me. Father, as um, we are just about to eat this bread and, and drink the cup as symbols of your body and your blood, we, we acknowledge the fact that we, we don't deserve it. And at this moment, as we're confronted with how we fall short of your glory, we are amazed at your grace, and we thank you. But I pray that you would quicken us, embolden us as, as your body, be reminded of your sacrifice. May it increase the love that we have for others. I think of so many people in our world who have no idea what real love looks like. I thank you, Lord, that you're showing us and you've given to us an example of perfect love. May we be a church that speaks truth in love. Bless this to our bodies and strengthen us, equip us, empower us for your glory. In your name we pray, amen. It says that the Lord Jesus, on the very night in which he was betrayed, took the bread. And after he had given thanks for the bread, but also for the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that was going to accomplish through his sacrifice. He broke and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, eat this in remembrance of me. It says in the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Of me. For every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you're proclaiming what the Lord has done for us in his death until he comes again, and may he come quickly.